0: The snow on the ice like Daniel I'm sure he'll appreciate that jab never a day off for pastor not if you're a friend of mine never a day off always got to stay on your toes and be ready for the the jabs and brotherly love well I trust everyone had a good Christmas and is looking forward to a, a new year the new year though it brings us a time of reflection does it not we're all kind of forced with, with thinking back on how far we've come in 2019, and in 2019, it brought us a whirlwind. I think the biggest headline in Christian circles is that Kanye West got saved and started teaching and preaching about our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, a lot of us in here, we've got probably a mixed crowd. Half of you don't know who Kanye is, and if you do, you, you can't believe I'd actually say anything good about him. Uh, but this year alone did bring us the fact that Just like God saved the impossible in Saul, he is still working today by doing the unthinkable. Uh, Today we're going to be in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 and and through 17. And while yes, this is a time for us to look back on the year that we've just or that we're still finishing up, it's also really a time for my mama raised me right, I guess. Uh, It's also a time for us to look forward to the year ahead. Now, as you all are turning there to 2 Timothy chapter 3, uh, I want to let you all know a little story. You know, for years, William Wilberforce he he pushed for British Parliament to abolish slavery. and, And he made very little progress. And this brother got discouraged and was about to give up when a friend of his heard it. His dear elderly friend John Wesley, you may have heard of him. From his deathbed, he called for pen and paper, and he wrote these words to his friend. Unless the divine power has raised you up, I see not how you can go through your glorious enterprise in opposing that abominable practice of slavery, which is the scandal of religion, of England, and of human nature. Unless God has raised you up for this very thing, you will be worn out by the opposition of men and devils. But if God be for you, who can be against you? Are all of them stronger than God? Oh, be not weary of well-doing. Go on in the name of God and in the power of his might, till even American slavery, the vilest that ever saw the sun, shall vanish away before it. Wesley died six days later. But Wilberforce fought for another 45 years and in 1833, three days before his own death, saw British slavery abolished. Praise God. I can only imagine what would have happened if that brother gave up because he was discouraged because he made little progress. I can only imagine what it would have been like for all those impacted by the slavery going on in that country and in ours, if not for the encouraging word of a friend. And that really brings us to our text today, because you're going to see here, the Apostle Paul is writing his second letter to Timothy, and this brother has a lot more in common with us than maybe we realized. Paul's really just setting this record straight once again, and he's describing what's going on in Timothy's day. And then he goes, he goes ahead and he gives him some words of encouragement and And really, if you take a look at all of this that we're going to read today, if you word it positively, Paul is telling Timothy, continue in the word. That's pretty easy enough for us to understand. But if you take that same truth and you flip it on its head and say it negatively, what is Paul saying? Don't give up on the word. Don't forget the word. Don't turn your back on the word. So go ahead and let's read together these words of encouragement and instruction from Paul in 2 Timothy. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Let us pray. Dear Lord, we come to you with humble hearts and we ask for you to meet with us today. Allow your Holy Spirit to have free reign over our hearts and our minds. Help us to absorb the truth that this text so boldly proclaims, Lord, and help us to never shy away from it. Help us to see why we need the Bible in the year ahead. Help us to see how we are in Timothy's position. Just like he was back then, Lord, we have so much in common with him, and we pray, Lord, that you would help us to see that Scripture is what we need. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Now, if any of you know me, you're going to know that we cannot possibly jump into a text that starts with the word but, or therefore, or however, without first scrolling back. So go back to the top of the chapter, maybe flip a couple pages back, and we have to find out what this brother Paul is talking about, because if he's saying but... Something came before it, and then he wants to show you a contrast or give you a little bit of context, and so what we have here is Paul setting the record straight, and he's letting Timothy know about all that's going on in his world, and he's not pulling any punches here about the way he describes the end times. You all do realize that Timothy lived in the end times, don't you? And if that's true, that means we also live in the end times, does it not? Scary thought, isn't it? Real quick, we don't have time to read it all, but we're going to go back to verse 2, and we're going to read a few verses to find out what's going on in Timothy's day. It says that people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, verse 3, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, verse 4, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. That doesn't sound anything like us in 2019, does it? I mean, outside these walls, that doesn't sound like us at all. That's not what we hear while we're waiting for the car to be fixed. That's not what we hear at the table across from ours at the restaurant. That's not what we heard at Christmas dinner if we had extended family gather. That's not what we hear as we take out our trash with our neighbors and we catch up on what's going on in their life. This isn't what we see played out on the news at all, is it? Now, young guys, this is called sarcasm. Of course it is. This is exactly what we see. This is what we see outside of this building. Didn't a smart guy once write that the more things change, the more they stay the same? That there's nothing new under the sun? But then Paul doesn't really stop there, does he? He goes on in verse 12 and he says, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. Did you catch that, Christian? Did you catch that? Everyone who practices wickedness and lawlessness is going to go around acting like they don't have a care in the world, and you're going to be persecuted if you desire to walk with Christ, the rest of the wicked world is going to continue getting worse, and you're going to be laughed at and mocked. That's a sobering thought. It's 2020, we're looking back on the year that we just are, we're still finishing up, and, and we start to think about what lies ahead. And a lot of us start thinking about New Year's resolutions. And maybe you're, you're too mature, you're too cool for that, you don't do resolutions, you just are resolutely more positive to be intentional about whatever it is that everyone else is. Maybe you wanna read your Bible in a year. Maybe you're gonna join the men's Bible study. Maybe you're gonna give more often. Maybe you're gonna start family devotionals. Maybe you're finally gonna witness to that lost coworker that sits next to you. Maybe you're gonna eat a few more salads and cut back on some of the carbs. Now, no matter what it is you've got on your New Year's resolutions, I trust it's admirable. I trust that it's positive for you and those around you. But when we square that up with reality, that we are in the... Come on, guys, if we're honest with ourselves, aren't we all a little bit prone to despair? Aren't we all a little bit likely to be discouraged when we think about that? When we realize that Satan is a real power and a real presence in this world, and he seeks nothing more than to grind us into powder... Think about that. He's got a big mortar and pestle, and he wants to grind Christians' bones into dust. He wants you to fail miserably. He wants your kids' souls. He wants you to ruin your marriage. He wants our church to be divided so that we ruin our testimony in the community. And he's been at this a lot longer than we have. How are we not discouraged? And not like we're going to walk around moping around all day saying, woe is me, but if we're honest with ourselves, we think about the cost of following Christ in the year ahead, we might have moments of despair. Especially when we read these words and see that we are going to suffer for our faith. But Timothy was just like us. Someone who, whose spirit indwelt a fallen sinful body that was prone to wander prone to despair, and Paul gave him the words of truth to encourage him on. And with help from the Holy Spirit, it's going to help us as well as we move into 2020. Essentially, Paul's saying that to persevere and fight discouragement, we have to continue in the word in 2020. Why? Why does he tell us that? We need to continue in the word because it's inspired. Verse 16, do you see that here with me? In one of the most profound declarations of the authority of Scripture, Paul tells it to us clear as day. All Scripture is God-breathed. Who can never change and never lie? Who is perfect and righteous and just and holy in all that he thinks and does? God, and we have his word. So let's unpack this a little bit, because there might be a little bit of confusion. It says all Scripture, and what does that mean, all Scripture? All Scripture. All Scripture. Well, real quick, just to let you all know, in 1 Timothy, so in the first letter that Paul wrote to young Timothy, chapter 5, verse 8, Paul uses the same word that he does here to refer to the Old Testament and the New Testament. All of Scripture, the ancient writings in the Old Testament, and the things that Paul was being inspired to write as well were inspired. Everything God wanted us to know for salvation, for holy living, for doctrine, for reproving, for correction and teaching, it's all right here. We have the Word of God. Now, I know this is a church where all of us have the same translation of the Bible, right? No, of course not. Some of us have ESB, some maybe NASB, NIV. We might even have some New King Jamers in here, and that'd be awesome. But your Bible translation might say that it's God-breathed, or that the Word is inspired, or that it's breathed out by God. And these are all different ways of saying the very same thing, that we have the mind of God in this faithful text. And when you see that right there, where where the word of God is, God breathed or breathed out by God, that, I mean, for those of us with a church background, does that not take us back to Genesis in the garden? What else did God breathe? The universe into existence in chapter 1? What about in chapter 2 when the Bible says, Then the Lord God formed man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. God's creative power, God's word has power. The universe, just like that because he spoke. A man made out of dust and clay became a living creature because of the power of God's word. And now we have this book that was breathed out by God for us to have. I love books. I know a lot of you in here love books as well. I wish that someday I could go to the world's largest library. Do You guys know where that's at? The world's largest library is in Washington, DC. It's the Library of Congress. Inside its walls contain a, a massive 168 million items. I mean, truly, if you are a book lover, is this not paradise? Like, this is where we go. This is vacation. I could probably live there. I'll never be able to read all the books, but I could certainly have a lot of fun trying. And and half of these books aren't even in English. And so not only do you have the world's largest library, it's also home to North America's largest collection of rare items, uh, rare volumes, rather. 700,000 volumes from antiquity. And and so as we continue on with me that it probably has the world's most expensive book, right? Wrong. That book belongs, drum roll, to Bill Gates. Bill, of course it does, right? That guy's got deep pockets, far deeper than us, right? The Codex Lester is a collection of scientific writings by Leonardo da Vinci, and when you adjust it for inflation, it currently holds the Guinness Book of World Records for being the largest or the book with the largest sale price. So, if you want to get in the time machine with me, you can go back to November 1994 to Christie's auction in New York. And the book at that time, in 1994 money, sold for $30,802,500. Now let's pull our jaw up off the floor and get ready for round two. If you adjust that for inflation, 2019 money, we're talking about the equivalent of $53,222,898, and some change. That book is special. That's a special book. I hope he's got four armed guards on it, because if anything should ever to happen to that, I mean, that's just a lot of money to just disappear because a book got stolen or got wet. But this book is special because it commands a hefty price tag. It's special because it was written by somebody famous, bought by someone possibly more famous. I don't know. And our Bible, something you can get for free. You guys have smartphones. You can pull it up, download the free Bible app. You can get a Spurgeon, uh, Spurgeon study Bible for like 30 bucks, it's not a hefty price tag, but this book is far more special than the Codex Lester will ever be. Not because it commands a hefty price tag, not because there are four armed guards guarding it, but, but because who wrote it. Just a little bit of Bible trivia for you, and of course, we in our circles of Christianity hate that word trivia when talking about the Bible because there's nothing trivial about it. Now, some of you kids who are with us in here today, you probably remember from our Wednesday night gathering, we, we know some of these things already, but, but let's remind your parents, shall we? Our Bible, our Bible is a collection of books. It's a total of 66 books written by 40 authors, and from start to finish took an estimated fifteen to 1,600 years. Our Bible was written in three different languages. It was in Hebrew, Greek, and Aramaic. And despite all of that, this book... Years and years and years of of writing and collecting to have it the way we do today. It tells one story. One story. It's all about the redemptive work and person of Jesus Christ and him crucified. And see, this is why our Bible is so much more unique and so much more valuable than anything that sold for 53 million. It's because it was inspired by God and tells us about Jesus No other book can claim to radically transform humans from the inside out. There might be 168 million books in the Library of Congress, but only the Bible can claim to be the Word of God from the mind of God so that we might know the heart of God. So we hear this. We think we know this. We've heard this all before. And, you know, that's our problem. That's our problem, ladies and gentlemen, it's because we think we know it all. I've read the book, Jason, I did it, I did it You know, four or five, maybe, maybe six years ago, I, I read it in a year, I'm good, I, I've read it, but, but don't you see? This isn't a book that you read once and put up on the shelf and think that you're good. This isn't a copy of War and Peace you read to, just to say you've read it. This isn't anything by Tolstoy. This isn't anything by Hemingway, where you read it just so you can say you've read it or so that it looks nice in your library. This is a book that is food for our soul. We need to always be reading this, and we need to continue learning the truths of Scripture because the more you read it, the more you're going to learn. In our moment of need in 2020, and you know what your moment of need is looking like because some of you are already in this season before 2020 approaches. I'm not sure what what the doctor is going to tell you this year. I'm not sure when your barista is going to have a crisis and they're going to come to you for help because you've developed that relationship with them. I'm not sure when your neighbor is going to confide in you that their marriage is imploding. And they're coming to you for advice and help because you go to church and they're hoping you've got some answers. When we have our walk with Christ and, and it hits us that maybe I'm just sick and tired of being passed over for promotions because they know I'm not going to fudge the numbers. They know I'm not going to play ball that way. When you're so sick and tired of not being invited, you know what? It's not worth it anymore. We can come to this book and we can find encouragement and hope just like Timothy did. We can find the truth that is worthy of all of our sacrifice. And we can know that while we will be persecuted, Paul already told us, our reward is going to be in heaven. And it's so worth it. But again, I can see the faces here. Maybe, maybe coffee hasn't kicked in. Maybe you've, like I said, you've heard this before. Some of you here, no doubt, or if on the live stream, you're thinking, no, 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 I've already heard that. Tell me something new. My hurt is unique. My hurt isn't solved by this. I've got something different going on. I need something new. Uh-uh. Who told you you needed something new? You see, actually, what I need to tell you, what I need to tell myself every day is what I've known but already forgot. And that's where we as Christians struggle the most, isn't it? The things we've known but have since forgotten. The things we say we believe but we don't actually live out in our life. You want a very real example that happened this morning? This isn't even in the notes. This is for free. After Brother Mike talked about memorizing Scripture, I said amen because I agree it's a good thing. And then my daughter gave me a sideways look because she knows that I don't. It's hard, and I give up way too easily. And that is real. I don't need for you to tell me to download the Dwell app for 20 bucks a year so that I can have Ezekiel be read to me by somebody in a foreign accent with some background music. I don't need you to tell me what free Bible app that will give me the tools to help me do this when I'm at work on my break. What I need for you to tell me, what I need to tell myself, is that I just need to get in the Word and find my encouragement here. Think about it. Isn't this what Jesus quoted when he was untangling the lies of the Pharisees? Isn't this what Christ believed in? Isn't this what he read as a child? See, listen, we're kidding ourselves, Christians. If it's easier for us to get lost in Mordor or Gotham City or Hogwarts than it is in Jerusalem, we need help. We need help. We say we don't have time to read the Bible. We don't have time to be intentional. Like Mike says, we need to be intentional, which means I need to carve out time to do this. I can't, brother Mike. I don't have time. But it's 1130 at night. I'm still scrolling through Netflix. Trying to find that next thing to watch. I'm still scrolling through Facebook or Instagram. And I know I'm not the only one. This is all of us. Maybe it's not those things, but you know what your thing is. You know the thing that keeps you from being more intentional in the word. Jesus quoted the Old Testament repeatedly. He clung to the word. He continued in the word. And when the Pharisees came to him with some difficult questions about divorce, he said, have you not read? He didn't give them something new. He didn't give them some new profound way to be holy or righteous or understand the scriptures. He just asked, have you not read? And just like them, we've all read, but we've forgotten. You want a successful Christian life? Not one that's without persecution or sin, but if you want a successful Christian life where you're at peace with God because you're fulfilling the purpose that God has laid on your life before the foundations of the earth, read your Bible. Memorize the Word. Continue in the Word when the going gets tough. Now, listen, don't hear me saying I can't read other books or I can't do other things for entertainment. I just have to always be in the Word. Charles Spurgeon once said, Visit many good books, but live in the Bible. And every time I read that, of course, it feels like a knife twisting in my heart a little bit because that's a challenge, isn't it? Especially if you're a book lover. See, I think one of the reasons we all fall prey to this, where where we just say, I've read it before, I, I know that, okay, I'm good. I'll hear Pastor Daniel say something amazing on Sunday. I'll catch up with my small group. We're going to talk about it, and that'll be good. Twice a week is all I need. I think we've forgotten just how powerful the Word is. If you were to turn to Hebrews chapter 4, verses 12 through 14, I think they'll be on the screen. I'm honestly not sure. For the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from its sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. If we forget there's power in the word, we're missing out. We are robbing ourselves. We are depriving ourselves of hope and wisdom and truth and encouragement, but not just for us, but for the people sitting next to you. For your coworkers, for your waiter, for your doctor, for whoever you might come into contact to and be able to ask, "How can I pray for you?" When Scripture speaks, God speaks. I hope you believe that. So in 2020, we have to continue in the word because it's inspired, but, but not only that, we need to continue in the word because it's profitable. Verse 16, we need to continue in the word because it's profitable. The Bible tells us in verse 16, it's profitable for teaching and reproof. Now, these two things have to do with doctrine. See, the scripture is going to teach us divine truth for life, for salvation, for holiness, for godly living, but it's also going to rebuke us for our wrong behavior or our wrong ideas about spiritual things. If we were to go back to Hosea, you'd see in chapter 4, verse 6, God says, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. That right there should be a wake-up call for everyone in this room that it is not okay to be okay with where we're at today. That rhymed way too much for us to remember. Let's think about that one again. It is not okay for us to be okay with where we're at today. We're supposed to be growing in holiness Our sanctification is something that's going to take us through the other side of eternity. We are not perfected right now. We need to always be in the Word, learning the Word, memorizing the Word. See, Israel, they rejected true knowledge, and they were destroyed because of it. Now, no one here would sign up to get on that list of destruction. And so this is a wake-up call for us today in 2019, looking forward to 2020. You don't want to be destroyed? Continue in the word. Hide that word in your heart. Now, how do we do that? Yes, we're going to do it here in our corporate worship. That means we all get together. We're going to do it on Wednesdays. We're going to do it in Sunday school. Please come to Sunday school. We're learning about the fear of man in Sunday school. In this class, there are other classes throughout the building. Come to Sunday school. An extra hour of sleep is nice. I know because I've been doing it all week long. It's fabulous, but I will tell you, It's even better to be here with the body learning about the Word of God. So come here in your small group or whenever you're sitting at the table or the comfy chair or wherever it is, you do your devotionals. And so that's how you're going to be able to be in the word and get this knowledge. But here's what you got to do, though. You got to lay down your arms. All right, check the weapons at the door. Don't come in here looking for a fight. Don't come into your devotional looking for something to be wrong. Don't come in here looking for something that's going to set you off and make you upset. Don't come looking for where the loopholes are so that you don't have to be held accountable for not memorizing scripture or for being here when the doors are open or for praying. What we got to do is we got to come humbly. We have to submit ourselves to the word. Now, Now, what does that look like? Submitting. I'm not talking about giving up a fight. I mean, allowing the word to have free reign. Come to this word when you have your devotionals or when we gather and expect that the Lord is going to speak to you. Expect that the word is going to challenge you and be okay with it. Let your life be radically transformed by the truths you read. Now, concerning rebuking, this is where some of us get a little antsy because we're not that comfortable with confrontation. God forbid we should ever correct someone and find out we were wrong especially when it comes to things of the spiritual nature. If we hear someone in this church, regardless of what their title is, or someone outside this building and they're teaching something that's not scriptural, something that's not faithful to the Bible, we need, no, we are commanded to take this word and lovingly rebuke them. We can't just sit idly by. And listen, you cannot think, no, 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 that's not for me. That's for the A-team. That's for those on staff here. That's for the Sunday school teachers. That's for the preachers and pastors and deacons. That's not for me. No, 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 don't don't believe that. That's a lie. There's no such thing as a B-string Christian who warms the bench. And if you're believing that damned lie that Satan would have you believe, you better stop. Stop it right now. Heaven acknowledges no second-string Christians. And if that's what you've been believing, stop it, put on your helmet, throw in a mouth guard, and get on the field because your teammates and your coach has been waiting. You have to be in the Word. You can't just say, no, 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 that's just for those guys over there. That's for all of us. We have to take this Word and lovingly rebuke those who don't teach truth. Now, the Bible says it's profitable not just for teaching and reproof, which deal with doctrine, the way we think about things, but it also says that it's profitable for correction and training in righteousness. Correction and training in righteousness. These two things have to do with lifestyle, how we live our life. Now, listen, I don't want to make anyone comfortable here, and so I'm not going to. I know a lot of times preachers say, I don't want to, but I'm not that preacher. I'm not going to ask you how many of you put up Christmas lights before Thanksgiving. I know some of you want me to preach on that. I'm not going to. We'll save that for next year. But I'm guessing that at some point in time over the past six weeks, some of you probably put up some Christmas decorations, probably had a lot of blinking lights, right? And I swear, every single year, no matter how carefully we pack away baby Jesus in the nativity scene, no matter how carefully we fold the tree skirt and everything else the stockings those lights oh my goodness those lights they don't spend 11 months in hibernation they spend 11 months planning on how to attack me when i open up the box again i swear mangled up gnarly twisted just godforsaken ball of cursed lights and it's so bad if you're a bit of a hothead like me sometimes, you just want to rage quit. Throw it down say, babe, grab the kids. We're going to Target because I just can't even right now. This light strand is terrible. You know, the word that we have here in verse 16 translated as correction is the Greek word for straight. As in straightening out. You see, those lights that we put up every, every year after Thanksgiving like normal people. I kid. Every year we get this, this tangled up, mangled up mess. You know, you know how we know that the tangled up lights are evil? Because that's how they describe the Grinch in his song. You ever catch that? I, I heard that when preparing this message. I'm like, Oh, that's good. I'm going to throw that in there. But those lights are never going to be of any value. They're never going to fulfill their purpose if they're shorted out or if they're in a knot and you can't get them on a tree and they just sit in a box. Bet you never realized you had so much in common with a little string of LED lights from Target, did you? You know, I actually saw they have this, this cheap piece of plastic on Amazon. I think it's like three bucks, but yay big. Um, and it's actually supposed to solve this problem. It's a little wind up. Uh, so you, you got the lights and you start to wind them through these little channels that are going to secure your light strands so that two things happen. One. They stay in place like they're supposed to be. They're going to walk the straight and narrow. And two, you don't wind them so short or so tightly that they start to short out and are useless next year. This book is what God uses to straighten us out. It's what shows us the correct path to walk, that straight and narrow. It's what keeps us from being wound so tight that we're of no use to anyone. It's the thing that, keeps us straight in the ways of the Lord so that we can be useful for his service. It's it's the same book that Jesus had quoted when he was untangling the teachings of the Pharisees. It's the same book, it's the same scriptural truth that our brothers and sisters in Christ for millennia have been using to reach their country and their community for Christ. And it's the same book that we cling to this morning for all of our spiritual food. And in 2020, we need to continue in the Word because it's inspired, it's, it's profitable for us to do so. You know, we said that this time of year is, is definitely a time for reflection, but also we, we know we, we need to plan for the year ahead. Some of us are already thinking about vacations. We're trying to figure out what days do I need to get off for work so we can go to Together for the Gospel. We're trying to figure out, hey, which of the men's Bible studies can I join? Am I going to join the first one or am I going to join the second one? Shameless plug if you didn't pick up on that. Maybe you're trying to figure out where you can cut back so you can give some more. And so these are all good things for us to do, to start to plan for the future. But we know that life's going to throw us a curveball. We know that Life is going to get the best of us sometimes. Maybe you get a call and you find out your sister has cancer. Maybe, maybe your best friend at work gets in a terrible accident. Maybe one of your kids is wandering from the faith and, and their heart is just seemingly impenetrable despite the prayers of the church, despite every gospel center parenting book you've read. You just can't seem to break any ground with that kid. And when you're at your wits end, where are you going to turn? When your coworker is struggling with their faith and they ask you for a little bit of guidance, where are you going to go? They don't need Dr. Phil or Oprah. They need Jesus. And if you don't have any, what are you going to share? I hope that you know this book well enough that you're going to be able to remind yourselves of the promises that Christ has made us in his word before you actually get that Bible app open or before you get back home and can turn open the Bible. So not only do we need to continue in the Word because it's inspired and profitable, but we also need to continue in the Word because it equips. Now listen, I know that sometimes we might be thinking, why the preacher spends so much time just on a few short verses? But look with me in verse 17 and let's find out. It says, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. That the man of God be equipped for every good work. Think about a mechanic with a garage full of tools. Think about an artist with a studio. All the colors and canvases and brushes you could ever want. That's how they get their work done. By being complete. By being properly equipped for whatever comes their way. Now, this word, uh, complete, it, it really brings with it uh, the idea of sufficiency or wholeness or, or lacking nothing. So really, Paul's telling Timothy here, and by proxy, the Holy Spirit's telling us today that in, in Christ, through the Word of God, without exception, we are going to be equipped for anything that comes our way. We are going to be outfitted for the task of teaching, reproving, correcting, and training in Righteousness. But I know some of us here, were a little tempted to say, well, Jason, it says the man of God and I'm a woman. Or, or brother, listen, I, I appreciate that, but I'm not even a deacon, I'm not even on anyone's radar right now, like I've just been coming here a couple of weeks, I'm, I'm not a man of God. Here's what we have to get straight. The man of God here, this is talking about persons of God. And that's all of us if we've been born again in Christ Jesus. So that's you, whether you like it or not. You are a person of God. That means this is applicable for you. So we need to continue in the Word because it equips. You're going to be equipped with every tool you need for the work that lies ahead. Now, this good work we're called to. What is that? Are we all called to the mission field? Are we all called to be teachers and preachers? Are we all called to serve in the nursery? No, I don't think so. We all are called to share our faith. We are all called to study the Word. But but this good work that we're called to is to be like Jesus. It's to imitate our Savior. It's to be an ambassador of the King of Kings. So that when we're living out our life, it's not us, it's Christ. When we respond to life's trials and temptations, it's not us reacting, it's the Spirit. When it's us who gives an account for why we do the things we do, it's, it's really not because we are all that awesome. God's awesome, not us. Through the Spirit, we do these things. So really, you could say that without exception, God has equipped us as people of God to do the good work that he's called us to. Now, now what does this look like? Because it's one thing to say things in abstract and we get the big picture, but what does that look like when we put the rubber on the road? Coming here earlier, staying light and setting up tables or, or cleaning when we have special services. Volunteering to teach in, in one of our Sunday school classrooms or work in the nursery. It could be preparing a meal for someone who just recovered from surgery or uh, just gave birth to a new baby. It could be joining the men's Bible study. Again, we're not going to stop, guys. Just come. Just come. It could be witnessing to your co-worker. It could be starting a new small group. It could be going to a small group because... One of the gifts that, that we are given, one of, the, one of the blessings we receive is when you all and myself included, when we actually do the work we're called to, which sometimes is as simple as just showing up. Just showing up is a good work that you've been called to. And, and that's great because on a day like today, it's holiday season and Pastor Daniel's not, not here. I see and am encouraged by all of you just because you're here. And it really speaks volumes about you. You're definitely not here for good preaching because you're going to have to wait another week for that, but you are here because this is what you're called one another and pray for one another and worship our God together. This is what that good work is. You know, Pastor Russ always used to put it so nicely when he would say that, I think one of his biggest prayers for the church was that we would have the, need, have the eyes to see the needs of others and that we would give sacrificially to meet the needs of others. That is a good work that we are called to. Ephesians two ten says, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Oh, good works. Now, how many times do you have to go to Home Depot when you start a home project? I know some of you are thinking already about what home projects you need to tackle in 2020. And, and I swear it's at least two, maybe three. So your first trip is to go to get everything you need. And the second is to get all the stuff you forgot. And sometimes there's the third to get the stuff you broke. Oh, that I would have just clung to the orange Home Depot handyman guide so that I would not be ashamed. Because you know there's shame in that, right? When you go back in and, and you're kind of shuffling your feet and you're just trying to sneak around. Because the cashier saw you a couple hours ago. She knows you're back. And you look and smell twice as bad as the last time she saw you. Oh, and so we're just trying to go to the self-checkout. Maybe no one will see us and just try to get in and out as quickly as possible because there's, there's that shame, and it's real. It's real. But you see, when, when you continue in the Word, you are going to be fully equipped. You will not have shame. You will be fully prepared for whatever God's called you to. You know that what God called you to, He did way before today, right? Right? Before the foundations of the earth were laid, he knew that you would walk through the fire in 2020. And he said, you know what? It's good. It's good for her to go through this. It's good for him to suffer that. You might disagree. I know I do. I always tell God he's wrong. And then I repent because whatever he's called us to, whatever we know we're coming up against in 2020, we know it's for our own good. But Paul did tell us we are going to suffer if we're going to walk with Christ. But we do have confidence that the God who calls us to this good work, this good work that will likely be the source of our scorn and our mockery in our community, he's also the same one who equips us through his word. And yeah, there's going to be people that make fun of us, and that's okay. We're just going to keep on keeping on because just like Timothy, while we are prone to despair, we have his word for encouragement encouragement. I love that word. Sometimes encouragement and inspiration kind of go together. Not biblical inspiration, but just the idea like, oh, that's a great idea. I want to do that. And again, we're thinking about 2020. We're planning ahead. You guys, fellas, February 14th, Valentine's Day, not going to put you on the spot, but remember that. Maybe you're thinking you want to make a nice five-star gourmet meal for your wife. Ladies, you might want to do the same thing for your husband. I know he'll appreciate it. And so we, We know that our spouses are going to love whatever we cook, right? Because they did it. Oh, honey, I'm so happy you spent so much time in the kitchen and "Mm, this is delicious. Listen, we know that our spouses are going to love whatever we do for them, even if it's not five star. But like, let's just say we truly wanted to make a five star dish with our two hands in our kitchen, not takeout. So we start thinking about the menu and let's just say you want to make some beef Wellington and some mushroom risotto. You guys can tell I was hungry when I was doing the conclusion, right? Oh, it's all food from here, guys. So you want to make this knockout dish, and then you need to have a good recipe. So, like, we know our spouse is going to love whatever we make them, but we want to make something so good that would knock Chef Ramsay's socks off. Gordon Ramsay is who we're trying to please right now, because we know Babe's standards are way too low. She's just going to say she loves it, but, like, I want to, I want to impress this guy. And so we need to find a recipe. Which book do you grab? Which cookbook do you get off Amazon? Do you get ultimate home cookery or gourmet cooking for two? I will tell you that if you said gourmet cooking for two, you're dead wrong. Why? Because it doesn't have a recipe for Beef Wellington. And listen, I know if in that split second that I allowed you to think about which book you'd actually pick up, you were thinking, that first one sounds kind of weird, like what's cookery? Like what what is that? I think probably no one but Karen might have picked up on what that is maybe. So we're thinking, like, why wouldn't we get Gourmet Cooking for Two? Like, the, 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 it's got gourmet in the title, Jason. Like, Why would I not get that book? And I see that it's published by Bon Appetit, no less. Like, This has to be the book. It comes highly recommended, five stars on Amazon. But brothers and sisters, if it doesn't have the answers to your questions, it's garbage. It's not going to help you. But you know who wrote Ultimate Home Cookery? Chef Gordon Ramsay. The 16 Michelin star chef, the the man whose recipe I would like to use to impress him. Because like I said, I told you my wife's standards are too low when I'm in the kitchen. She'll love whatever I make. So if I have this book written by the guy I'm trying to impress, I have his mind, I have his instructions, and I'm going to know exactly what I'm supposed to do. So if you're thinking about trying to prove the master chef, what do you do? You follow the recipe to a T. If it says a half cup, you don't have a half cup and a little extra. You don't do heaping. You, you level it. You add exactly what he says to add. You have the oven preheated. Don't just say, oh, it's warm enough. No, you preheat it. And then you follow that recipe to a T, and at the end, you're going to hear, well done, thou good and faithful sous chef. Now, now some of you might fancy yourself a savant in the kitchen, and you're going to say, no, 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 that's, that's all well and fine for those who work in a restaurant. They have to follow recipes. They're on staff. I'm just a home cook. No, 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 that doesn't apply to me. Maybe some of you are so confident in your skills and and maybe just his lack of credibility as a master chef judge, maybe you're thinking that because you're such a wonderful person that he's gonna be okay with whatever ends up on his plate as long as you don't burn down the kitchen and burn your coworkers with you. Brothers and sisters, I hope you don't believe that lie. You know what's gonna happen if you try to deviate from his recipe? I mean, if you know Gordon Ramsay, you know it's not going to be pleasant. He's going to spit your food out and throw your plate in the trash. Worse yet, if you actually did believe that all you had to do was just not burn down the kitchen, when you looked at what you were presenting to him, I don't even think he would taste it. Now see, God knows what we need. He knew that we needed a Savior, so he sent his son he knew that we needed instruction because we weren't capable of figuring this out on our own so we sent his word. So brothers and sisters, just like Timothy got encouragement from Paul, just like Wilberforce got encouragement from Wesley, I want to encourage you this morning to continue in the word because it's inspired. It is the inspired word of God. I want to encourage you to continue, and I want to encourage you to continue in the word because it will equip you for every good work. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father God, thank you so much for this book. Lord, I, I really just am incapable of describing how truly blessed we are that you have made sure to preserve your words so that we could know you. This is where we meet you. This is where we learn of Christ. This is where we learn how to be pleasing to you. This is where we find hope and encouragement when life seems to be going completely against us. Lord God, I pray that all of us would cling to your word, that we would continue in the word in 2020. Don't let us believe the lie, Lord, that it's, it's okay just to pick it up every now and again. Lord, don't let us believe that as long as we've read it once, we're good to go for the rest of our life, Lord. Help us to treasure your word. Help us to hold it dear in our life. Lord, we ask all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.